Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Peace family is 19 Keys with the 19 Keys podcast. You're listening to a high-level conversation. Tap in. All right, a word from one of our sponsors. Make sure you tap into Goldwater Products. After you come listen to the information, you're going to need your memory stimulated so you can download everything in that prefrontal cortex. You want to make sure that hippocampus area of your brain that regulates mood, memory, and learning is fully functional and tapped in. Therefore, you want to tap into Goldwater. They have smart malls, sports malls, vitamin C malls, colloidal silver. They have just about everything that you, your child, and your whole entire family needs to stimulate your brain and your body and to make sure that your immune system is functioning. Before you tap into this great high-level conversation, listen to this song by Tezu Kulando called Goldwater. Peace, family. Welcome back to 19 Keys Podcast, 19 Keys of Electrical Thought Patterns and Conversations. Today, our podcast takes us to Oakland, California, where I sat down for an interview with Trap Art. We covered everything from um, Kaepernick, Superman, masculinity, um, Harriet Tubman, um, Tyler Perry Studios, 2020 year of the ownership sex trafficking. We got into a little bit, a lot of it, and also a little social media. Um, So I want y'all to tap in and enjoy this. And as always, make sure you leave a comment, a message, go on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever, leave a five-star review. And also, if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, just tap in. Peace. This is Trap Talk on Trap Art TV. What's up, everybody? You tuned in to yet another episode of Trap Talk, the podcast. My name is Bia Mechi, and as always, we got Tattoo Panda in the Yes, building. sir. And before we get to introducing our feature for this morning, I want to mention that we, the last podcast, I didn't bring it up, but we have um, a lot of interns, people supporting Trap Art in various ways. So I just want to shout them out because they do a lot of work behind the scenes that people don't necessarily see. But yeah. they're a big part of making the events a success and everything we do a success. So big shout out to all the interns. And if you want to get involved, make sure you follow us at Trapex Arts. Send us a message so we can figure all that out. But big shout out to Brittany and big shout out to Deja, who's in the building. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Um, so big shout out to her. Um, but before before we uh, get to all that, I want to make sure we give a proper introduction to our guest. Somebody who really needs no introduction if you follow yeah. Trap Art and if you follow... Um, what we've been doing on over the past few years. We feature none other than the, the world changer, mm. the world renowned, uh, traveling, uh, conscious mind, uh, all that, man, paradigm shifter. We talking about none other than 19 Keys. Give it up. Hey, good to be here. My man. For the people who don't know, man, like what, what exactly what exactly do you do? Uh, it's funny because like our um, intern, DJ, I was talking to her before the podcast and I was you know telling her who you were. Yeah. And... 
it was hard for me to introduce you properly. You know, it's hard for me to explain exactly what you do. So how would you introduce yourself? For the um, I go by 19 keys, and that's 19 keys of enlightening thought patterns. Um, what I do is I'm a global thought leader, you know, and I consider myself a world changer. We may all live on the same planet, but we live in different worlds, and our worlds are made up of our perceptions, thought processes, views, consciousness, ideologies, philosophies, whatever that may be. Um, and so my goal is to increase the pattern of thinking so everybody can get to a higher level of consciousness and enlightenment. And so my goal is to travel around the world, you know, enlightening um, the entire diaspora to get on one world view. That's so. what it's all about. That's admirable. Yes, and sir. usually, um, I should mention it as well, um, usually we are with our co-host, Cal Ghani. She cannot be in attendance for this shout podcast. Shout out to her right now. Yeah, shout no, out to she her. She no uh, shout out for missing this. <laughs> nah, nah, she got reasons. She has her reasons, so uh, we're not going to get into that, but big shout out to her. Um, but let's usually, like, when we start off the podcast, she kind of leads, you know, icebreakers. We have some questions to just get to know each other better, things like that. Obviously, I already know you, um, but I will start off with some light questions. Let's just call it that. I'm not going to call it icebreakers, but let's call it light questions. All right, so what I first wanted you to talk about is... What's going on now? <laughs> I wanted you to talk what's going on. I wanted you to talk about um, Twitter, Instagram, some of the craziest things that you've seen. I mean, I'm talking about, like, people stalking you. Um, I'm talking about people misquoting you. Uh, what's going down in the comment section? Um, all that, man. Craziest stories. And you know what's funny? Somebody said something today. It was a brother that commented on a post. I had a, a young, rich, black guy on there. And, um, and maybe this is funny to me for particular reasons, but he was like, if you go um, had a black on there, you got to do it with a capital B. Now I look at his AV, and he has a very capital W white wife. And I'm hmm. like, how he go talk to me about black power, man, black consciousness? You know what I'm talking about? And he's in an interracial situation. Now, I just found it funny because I would think of all people, you know what I mean, he would have let that pass. You know what I'm saying? And I just find, like, people on the Internet somehow become revolutionary in their comments, but not in their lives. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I have definitely have stalkers, and I've had stalkers, and I'm hopefully that my stalker retired. Um, unsolicited pictures, videos, comments, and um, imaginary relationships, you know, that I've never actually been in, that people participate in their own head. Um, Instagram is, and social media can be a place of very non-critical thinking, where people take information with not having all of the sides, and you know, you blast an opinion out. I know everybody's been guilty of not having all the information and participating mm. in their thoughts into something. But, you know, it's just one of those places where, I don't know, I don't think people realize that, like, it's, it's, it's only real to a certain extent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not really tough because you can talk shit in a comment because somebody see you in real life, then you have to back that up with physical action. You know what I mean? You're not really revolutionary because you post something that's revolutionary. You have to back that up with a lifestyle, you know? Um I'm getting deep in here. Man, for real, for real, though. You know what I'm talking about? Getting deep. But um, I, I, I don't know, man. I just don't like when people's comments, profiles don't match who they are in real life. 
everything comes around full circle. You know, my, yes, it's funny, um, cause you actually like do a lot of entertaining of like what people say. Like, you know, you go back and forth. I usually like when you go through like some of your posts, you always, you know, respond. Yeah, I got a little time. Responding, yeah, you got some time, <laughs> right? But it reminds me of, um, you know, when Brother Ben had the, uh, he came out with that song called K. You know, yeah, hit you with, with the, the K. K. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> when somebody say something crazy, just respond K. You know, um, what, what what's your mindset when you responding to people, man? It depends. A lot of times, to be honest, I be lighthearted with it. I just find it. I, I got a very interesting sense of humor. You know what I mean? So, like, a person could say something stupid, um, and I just be like, shut up. Because I know in their head, once they read this, they're going to be like, do you really just tell me to shut up with a period? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that period, that energy. And that's when I just see something that just don't make sense. Like, you obviously coming from a very ignorant standpoint. Not only that, you follow me already, so why would you follow somebody you disagree with? Only to comment in the times that you disagree, but then not post in the times that you are in agreement. And it's something that just sounds stupid, I just say, shut up. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, hate is a new love, like that old Wale CD. It's Ugh. like people, you know, have more energy towards the things that they dislike and that they're not, you know, passionate about or don't resonate with than they do about the things that they so-called support, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, you said a lot about, you know, that with Trump. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about, all oh, you know, Trump this, Trump that, and they put more energy on that than right. supporting, you know, right. people that they say that they support it you was know? it was uh, a famous meme i don't even know if it was real but this indian guy was on there he said what is your secret to longevity and long life and he said i don't argue with fools and the guy was like i don't know if that's real and he was like yes you're right and the whole point was he not about to argue he with ain't argue fool. with it <laughs> and so if you ever see me comment yes you are right that's just me not arguing with a fool not that they actually right it kind of reminds me of a wise comment that you were once said which is a uh, a uh, very wise comment um, about um, the way to get to a billionaire is to drink water. <laughs> you know, that was somebody quoted me on a tweet today. I don't know when I said it. I got to have context, right? Because I put out a lot of content. But context matters of what I was saying at the time and what that conversation was surrounded by. Um, you know, I think it was more so about affording liabilities probably or something in that matter. But yeah, man, drink water till you become a billionaire. Whatever that or means to you. Or the gold water, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Drink gold water till you become a billionaire, man. Um, I want you, I want you to uh, just real quickly before we get into the questions that we wanted to talk about for this episode, um, just catch people up on what you're doing right now in terms of this four corner tour. Um, and I know you just got back from South Africa. Uh, you mm -hmm. say a few words about that, and then in two days you're going to Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? So um, hitting on all those different corners, let's talk about it. Um, it's the global diaspora tour, you know, um, obtaining a global perspective on the black and Af African diaspora as far as our consciousness worldwide. Um, you know, we started off here in the United States with the shifters. We traveled all throughout the U.S. doing events, shifting the mindset and the paradigm of our people. Um, and then we went out to the U.K., which really gave me a different perspective being my first time traveling outside the country. Yeah. We had the ability to throw an event. Um, we went to Parliament and spoke with the Queen of Diambia and had representatives from all corners um, of the diaspora, from the Caribbeans, from UK, from the United States, and then from Africa. And then from there, I went to Africa and South Africa, which I was able to have conversation with former UN members and African Union members and also the millennial generation of Africans and people on the street. I really take a, uh, what they call a, um, um, 
ethnography, you know, where you really steep yourself into the culture of the people. That's my way of observing, right? So I don't travel as a tourist anywhere, you know what I mean? I travel and become a part of the landscape. Like, part of the culture. Yeah, take me to the hood, you know what right, I'm talking right. about? Like, let me travel as the people here on the ground travel in their transportation systems. Right, right. I don't want to do all of the not bougie, better, yeah, yeah tra uh, 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 tourist-guided things. That's not going to give me what it means to live here, what it means yeah, to be here feeling. and to see it. So when we do it, when I travel like that, it changes me who I am and it allows me to connect different pieces for one of how black people globally think and it gives you a global perspective on the solutions that are necessary for us to improve our conditions on a global scale you know and uh, so the next is the Caribbeans you know going to the Caribbeans and seeing what I can learn out there and find these missing pieces and that's why I deem 2020 year of ownership that's what came to me like the, this year was 2019, Year of the Keys. You know what I mean? Year of the Keys, obviously, it's the 19. A lot of things happened, and it was allowing me to grow and grab the keys necessary in order to unlock the doors. And next year is the full fruition of the vision, getting directly into ownership. You know what I mean? I want land and knowledge yourself, man. You know what I'm talking about? Ownership. Like, I don't want to beg for nothing. I don't want no jobs. I don't want nothing. I want to own it. I want, I want the title to it. You know what I mean? I want the keys the to it, the deeds, you know what mm -hmm. I mean, the LLCs, the patents, the trademarks, you know what I mean? Nothing but ownership because when we own it, we can control it. And once we control it, we got the power and we can say what's valuable or not, you know what I mean? Because if this land over here we don't own, but this land we do own, mm. then we just get everybody going on this land. It becomes the most valuable. We can make each other billionaires and millionaires overnight. Just by saying, you know what, only support what we own, so we have full vertical integration. Yeah, you know I mean, on wealth. Yeah, I think that um, everybody who travels could take that in, though, because like you know, if you go somewhere, people usually go to the tour guides, but it's like you can just find somebody, um, like take them out to dinner, right. you know, um, get a sense of like you know what that culture, wherever you're at, like is like who that person is like, what mm -hmm. they, you know, just have it have a whole. I feel like that's the best way to do it. Just tap into a specific. Um, person that you may you know get a relationship with and have them really walk you through mm -hmm. like their experience instead of like you know going to what the tour guide says or do these ten things when you're in this right. place and, and the tour guide sometimes be trying to scare you so that they can keep tourism right. going mm -hmm. like they take don't yeah. go to this party you right. need somebody you don't be needing all of that half the time they told me to not go to a bunch of different places I go to them anyway that's the only way you gonna be able to see them right. you know what I mean what's the most uh, craziest spot you've been. To where you felt like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have came here. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, shit, a bunch of different spots in Africa, to be yeah. honest. Man, I mean, because you look around and all of these young boys, they hungry. You know what right, I mean? Right. They skinny, they, they they need some food to eat, and they probably got knives and guns on them ready to rob something. I was seeing somewhere out there where, like, they they stay in, like, the cemetery and shit like that shit, in some parts of Africa. That, that's the and part of the tour guy. You should yeah. listen. Don't go there. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. The cemetery? Niggas is hanging out in the cemetery? No, I'm not messing with no vampires. You know what I'm talking about? They in the cemetery. Them brothers is dead. I'm cool. It's rugged out there. You ready to die? You go to the cemetery. They going through a lot of the same stuff we going through, but just different levels. The hood around the world is the same. It's the same. You know what was out there? I was interested in that. You know, we do a lot of senseless violence out here, right? So we'd kill you for no reason out here. You can look at a person wrong, stare at somebody, girl, bump a person in the shoulder. 
you feel me, or banging colors or different neighborhoods, whatever it may be. Out there, at least they killed because it was poverty-based and they was trying to gain something from mm. you. You know what I mean? Like, they trying to rob you and take your stuff. They they said most of the time somebody getting killed is because somebody put a hit on you on something serious, but they not just trying to kill you because you're a black man. Right, right, right. So when I was explaining to them the senseless violence that we have, they couldn't understand that. Like, I'm like, you know, out in... In, in, in areas where they game bang and murder you for a color and then not even take none of your property. They couldn't understand no idea like that. Like, nah, we take your property and leave your life. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I felt a little more, I, I rationalized things in a different way. You know what I mean? I grew up militant, soldier in the hood, blah, 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 Zay. So I'm thinking, shit, they do more robbing than stealing. So most of the thing I lose is my, my material possessions okay. instead of my life. I, I feel it's more dangerous living in L.A. than it would be in the third world part of South Africa. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? So I wasn't really tripping. I felt comfortable. Yeah, that's interesting. We, it is a lot of senseless. I was just with a friend uh, at, at church the other day. I was with a friend who was telling me about um, her experiences in Tennessee, and she was talking about Memphis and how out there there's an epidemic of, like, people just getting um, shot on the freeway. Like There's like a lot of freeway shootings for people getting you know cut over and stuff like that, driving and whatnot, just yeah. road rage type of situations. Like It's a lot of people, like it happens time and time again, and it's just like, damn, that's crazy. I couldn't even imagine, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's wild, and it doesn't do even go that way. They do that shit in St. Louis. I mean, like... And a lot of those are like gun states, too. Yeah. So, it's quick to grab a gun when you got one right there, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's gun... It's like you said, the gun manufacturers, like, they're not out here, you know, right. so it's like, oh, that's... Shit, a lot of them cats be getting it off the black market, though. They get... Mm -hmm. I know in St. Louis, they rob the trains, you know what I mean? So they get them off the trains, somebody got crate loads of it, then they sell it to the guys in the hood, so they got caters, choppers, mm -hmm. many, all kind of different weapons, you know what I mean? And then once them hit the streets, they just get high off drugs, ain't got nothing else to do. They can't go to certain areas because they told them that certain areas is off limits. So the cops will come and rouse you. So now they can't go and have regular fun. So now they're in the hood just trying to think of some shit to terrorize people to get a reputation. Anger, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So you go out there, you look at somebody, girl, he pull a chop on you on the freeway. Cut him off. And the systematic institution of the reason why things are this way is why Kaepernick was kneeling. So I want to transition to talk about Kaepernick. Uh, for the people who don't know, uh, he had basically a private workout mm. that the NFL had scheduled for him this past Saturday. And just a quick one-on-one -on, -one on the situation, did Kaepernick, Kaepernick kneeling oh. for the national anthem. Go ahead. I was say, did they schedule that? Well, the NFL scheduled it. Or he did. The NFL scheduled oh. it. So the NFL scheduled a private workout that was going to be at one of the team's facilities in Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons. It was going to be in their facility, but it had certain stipulations. And the the basically it seemed like Kaepernick wasn't okay with those stipulations. Mm -hmm. So last minute he changed the location. He wow. made it accessible to his media, his people, the public. Um, and he had like media there where he did like a little um, – I guess I say a rehearsal. I don't want to say a rehearsal, but he gave like a little speech, uh, speech after. But he didn't take questions and answers. So it wasn't like a Q and A, like you know, media asking them things like that. So, anyways, um, it wasn't like an official. It's a lot of ambiguity when it comes to like the details of like were there NFL scouts there, who was there, who wasn't, all those sort of things. But um, you know, he had some comments talking about the NFL was scared. Roger Goodell was scared. He's still waiting for his opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. 
I have my thoughts as a diehard Niners fan, like, and I, this whole process I've had thoughts about it because, you know, it's a national topic and there's a lot of opinions that come in. And having actually seen Kaepernick in his last season and how he played and all those sort of things and how the whole thing transpired, I have my opinions, but I want to first get to you. What's your initial thoughts on all that? Do you have any opinions on what he said, how he's perceived, and really like the reaction from everybody around the situation? You know, I want to salute Kaepernick for, for one, taking a stance when he didn't have to. He mm. could have just continued to play. And he could have played out his season and let that be. But for whatever reason, something was on his heart and his mind and his spirit that said, I want to take an action, right? And sometimes that happens when people feel like the only thing that they can do is this one thing. You know what I mean? And that one thing changed the world. You know what I mean? In the sense to where it affected millions of people and it created social justice causes. Yep. Um, it gave money to organizations. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it created conversation around um, systematic injustices and social injustices that weren't being had in certain spaces. And it brought a lot of awareness to people who get to live in their privilege without having to think about these things. Yep. You know, and it brought a lot of hypocrisy to, you know, the national anthem and mm -hmm. so many different conversations to where basically everybody who somebody had to speak on this. So it brought the national attention that he wanted to do. So salute on his success and his nil. Real, real quick before you go any further, like, yeah, I, that's a good point because it's like even when he started doing this, like, I didn't even know the origin or anything about the national anthem. Who does? You know what right. I'm saying? Like, we don't even right. pay attention to these things. Who wrote the song? What was the context of it? All these sort of things. And it's like when you when you delve into that, it's like, hmm, things get interesting. You know what I'm saying? So I think um, you're right on that. He was a huge success in bringing attention to even questioning these things. But go ahead. So... After you step into the role that I'm sure he couldn't have foreseen the reality that was going to take place afterwards, he's put into this position now as a revolutionary, as a political figure, as the people's champ. You know what I mean? That's a good way to put it. And when you think about it, kind of like what Muhammad Ali did when they said he was practicing sedition by dodging the war in the draft because he said that it went against his religious practices. And so he was willing to go to jail, and he went to jail for what he believed in. And when you think about the ultimate level of sacrifice, a person willing to give up their freedom for what they believe in, that's a very powerful thing, especially when you're at the top and the height of your career, and you're the greatest in the world. Like, Ali was the, the greatest, greatest in the world. The greatest. You know what I mean? So that was a level of sacrifice and integrity that every person, not even just athlete, but every person should take in their life. Because if we all had that level of integrity, we would find things changing in a mass scale. So when you see Kaepernick taking such position after footsteps like that of other um, sports heroes have done, there's, there's a thing that comes, I think, to mind to where you see how the NFL treated you, right? You know, a lot of people go to the harsh scale of calling the NFL like a plantation. You know what I mean? Based on the owners being 100% white. You know what I'm saying? And the way that they treat the players when the players should have all of the power in the first place because they don't want to make the NFL go around. They're the ones who get the concussions. They're mm. the ones who get all of the issues after they're done playing and they can be discarded away when they're no longer useful. You know? And they got to shut up and play. That's basically the NFL's... Uh, unofficial decree is shut up and play, you know, and he didn't shut up and play. And so 
once you get into a position to where they treat you like you're discardable, if I'm working a job, I don't care if it was my dream job to work at Apple mm -hmm. and I became high up and I've studied, you know, engineering and tech and coding, whatever it was, and then I'm working there and I do something and say, wait a minute, y'all algorithm is biased against black people and I'm going to take a stand against this. We need to do something. And they like, ah, oh, shut up and code. Get out. You know what I mean? This is no longer my dream to work for these people. You know what I mean? I don't want to work for somebody else and enhance their organization that I know is inherently biased and discriminatory against me. So now it has to shift my energy towards this organization to where, no, you know what? I'd rather champion for the people and take this legacy that I've started now and this inherent responsibility and say that I don't even want to work for y'all no more. Matter of fact, mm. I'm vehemently not only against just the coding aspect, but the ethics on how this whole thing is being ran from a vertical standpoint. So I believe that, I believe that the legendary aspect and the most powerful aspect is Kaepernick would have took that stance and saying that we need to take a look at the culture of the NFL, the ethics of the NFL, the hierarchy of the NFL on how we have all these white owners being able to capitalize off all this black energy and talent. And we have no say-so about when we want to speak on things that affect us, even though we make the organization what it is. So the fact that he... You know, he he took whatever the deal he had, and it was non-disclosed that he had with the NFL, settlement, yeah. the settlement mm -hmm. with the NFL. We don't know what that actually was. Right. So the people are left with a blind eye <laughs> to even know what agreements were being ran at that time, why things couldn't be said, how much money he settled for, whatever. But I imagine that once you settle, he won. Like, he got the, he got the Nike contract. He got the social justice. He got a settlement. I mean, he might be a little greedy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to just be honest. I ain't never seen nobody win that many times. You know what I mean? And be on the side of right. You know what I mean? He might be a little greedy to say that not only I want all this, I want to go play again as well. Fuck the NFL is my stance. But you've been down a long time, though. Yeah, I mean, it's been, what, three years? Yeah, three a years. long time for I, I would say you shouldn't go back and beg for a job. But that's his passion besides anything else, like being what everybody wants him to be. Football is his passion. That's so what sacrifice like, comes in, man. That's what makes you a legend when you able when you willing uh, to sacrifice that thing you love the most to do the right thing. So you think he's gonna be a legend as a revolutionary or a He already player? is. He will so never he was never gonna be a legend as a player. But see, if he get in, he probably could be because mm. Mm. I, mean, I think he brought up a good point about Ali. Ali was at the prime. Ali yeah. was, he was, you know, Kaepernick, he's had great moments. I'm a diehard. I was defending yeah, Kaepernick when he, like, you know what I'm saying? He had great moments, but he was at the end. No, I'm not going to say the end, but he was declining. He got benched for a terrible player the year mm -hmm. that he went out. He became vegan and was losing. I'm nothing against vegan. I'm vegan. But he lost a lot of weight. Um, wasn't as athletic. His whole game was predicated off of athleticism. He wasn't as athletic. He was getting hurt. All those sort of things when you come to the actual game. Like, he wasn't in a – the NFL is a huge – they're known for letting players in, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's, you know, all these off-the-field issues, if you can play, if you can produce at an elite level. And if Kaepernick was playing if at the time that he started kneeling and whatnot at an elite level, this wouldn't have wouldn't transpired have this way. It wouldn't have transpired right, this right, way. Because right. it's like the NFL is if you're if you're a player, the NFL um, in sports in general, you could say, and even you could translate this to even outside of sports to a certain extent. If you're somebody who's a, a valued 
um, employee or somebody who's doing something at an elite level, there's a lot more leeway. There's a lot more. You can kind of change how things are going around. You can make these demands and do all this. But if you're a player who's just going to be a backup position mm-hmm. role, right, and you're coming in, it's already week 11 in the season. It's not even feasible for him to come in not playing right, three right. years, be on a team, and well, he's going to start starting for a team, <laughs> learn to play. Like, you're going to be on right, the bench. Right, right. So it's like you're going to bring all this media, all this attention, all this thing, and you're not even performing at an elite level. They're not going to they – don't, they don't want you to say, oh, we're going to change the workout here and do this and do that. You can't make those demands if you're – not an elite player, you know what I'm saying? So I mean to cut you off though. Man. No, I mean he, he make valid points. He's right. one player that wants to change the entire NFL, which is a structure that's been set up, and he has changed the NFL. Yes. Like he's changed it forever yeah. since. But I mean, he he did complete his dream of playing in the NFL. So yeah, I see what you mean now. So he will probably have a better chance at. Changing football on the sidelines and not on the field. Yeah, and going into other. You're right, you're right. You're he right. got he all of this influence he got. He can leverage to do anything he wants at this Coaching point. Anything, yeah. It My, just I think perhaps he needs to be surrounded by the right people he, that can tell him some moves he he can be now making that where he was able to legit leverage his initial dream yeah. to turn into something even bigger than he could imagine. Maybe he feel like he just he dug himself too far in the ditch by not we, working. We, this is what we doing. This is what we doing a lot of. Maybe he I feels mean, this. Maybe he feels that. Yeah. We don't know because he hasn't really said much. This right. whole three-year period, it's been a commercial. It's been like maybe a few tweets on free. But he, but he hasn't obviously really, he wants to play ball, though. I don't know about obviously. I, to me, it's obvious that he doesn't want to play ball with his actions. I feel right, like this huh. is a, a cat and mouse game, a PR thing of like, if you really wanted to play, you're going to pull up and talk about um, the NFL is running from us. The owners are running from us. I'm here. I've been waiting. That's not a way you would kind of talk right. to something that you want to be a part of, from my vantage point. That's not going to help you get back in the league if that's what your goal was. And I feel like even the NFL on their end, like any player, if you're a free agent and you don't, you're not signed to a contract on a team, if a team wants you, they bring you in. They bring you in, you do a workout. That's what happens. The fact the fact that they the fact that they had like a public like we're gonna bring in twenty six teams and see you at this workout, to me that alone was like already giving you the sign that like we're working together to make this a situation where teams can not feel the 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 pressure of like if something goes wrong on the media side of them bringing you in, this is a safe safe place for you to come and show your talent. That's yeah. not really what they wanted to do though, because if a team wanted him, they would have already, already had him try out. Know what you could do exactly. Yeah. You, you know, so, another component is, is the Jay Z aspect of right. being involved in it, and you know, um, his girl um, Nitty, um, that's Nitty, that's that, a that's a Nitty, isn't it? I think it's Nessa. Okay. Yeah. I'm calling Sister Nitty. Sister Nitty. <laughs> Sister, Sister Nitty. No um, she, um, she spoke against Jay-Z during the time. She spoke against creating, a lot of people. You know, the partnership with the NFL, and they've said that Jay-Z had something to do with the NFL creating these workout tryouts. Mm-hmm. You have to understand things at a different level. Once you, for one, you, you made your billion. You know what I mean? Jay-Z and Diddy made their billion. And I don't think, for me, I don't think it's about money for him. I think that we get into a point in our courtship where we demonize the very people who may be making strategic efforts and moves on a part to make some type of progress. Off of something basic or getting caught in the semantics. Yeah, and sometimes we need to stop being so critical of each other and let things play out and see what it's going to be because if we scrutinize every move that's being made while it's being made, we never get to see the Mm -hmm. bigger picture coming to fruition. 
And that happens on so many different levels and so many different scales. And once you become, I think, a, a global thinker and you, you start to see things from a higher perspective, you understand why the person at the bottom can't understand why you're making moves at the top. One can say it's black capitalism to where you don't want to change the structure of capitalism. You only want the power to be able to control more of the structure and continue to keep it going. But at the same time, that's my pops outside. At the same time, um, I think that we got a responsibility to each other, you know, to not be so critical of each other in public and learn how to have these sort of conversations in private mm -hmm. so that we can make real change and have an agenda. Because ain't everybody else ain't having any conversations yeah, in public about I, things they're going to be doing to us. I think that's true, and I think that's good to circle about the, the bigger picture of this topic, you know, because even when you look at, you know, um, like I was mentioned earlier, there doesn't really seem to be a specific thing that we're looking to accomplish now. You know, like, I think him kneeling, like you already said, was a success. Mm -hmm. There's still people kneeling in the NFL to this day. You know what I'm saying? People are still doing that. Mm -hmm. Britain, if you're talking about your whole thing about kneeling was bringing attention, you've brought attention. You know, sometimes it's been distracted right. by what the, you know, bigger issue is and whatnot. But you've brought, you brought attention. If you want, does he want to sit down? Yeah, Pops, you want to come in? <laughs> Does he want to come in? He come in. <laughs> you can ask him if he wants to come in. It's fine. You can take a seat. Um, but, yeah, we got the pops in the building, which we're going to get to in a little bit. You did a little uh, interview with your pops earlier yeah. uh, this week um, with us, which was great. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, just close the situation out. Um, it, to me, my whole thing has been this whole his agenda has been – I don't know what his agenda is. There's a lot of speculating right. from the outside of what exactly do you want to get accomplished. Like, we see the commercials. We see Nessa, you know, shooting down Jay-Z, shooting down the NFL owners, shooting down this, shooting down that. It's like, what what exactly is the goal? You know what I'm saying? And I think it's one of those things from the Kaepernick's camp and his side, it doesn't seem genuine to me that he wants to be in the NFL. It seems like he wants to uh, control a narrative and continue being, like you said, the people's champ. Right. You know, he even said, quit running from the people. I, and I, and But the thing is, though, people are behind Cap. It's not like people aren't behind him. People, everybody's people, behind him. Everybody's behind Cap. You know what I'm want, saying? So, what does he want to do? But I, yeah, exactly. What does he want to do? I feel like he doesn't. You know, and to Jabril's, to 19 Key's point, you know, it's like, why would you want to play? Why would you want to be employed by somebody that you seem to be so against? Like, why do you want to be a part of it? And I think from the NFL side, it's like, why do you want him a part of it? Like, if you're if you're saying, like, you're afraid of the PR hits and you don't think it's that good, why even have a, a workout that's, like, you know, hosted in front of all these teams and act like there's an actual fair chance of him getting in? Like, it's all a PR, PR game on both sides. Well, right? I see. Controversy. You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't see the point in it at this point. I think, like I said, 2020-year ownership, man. Get our own. Lead, ownership or slave yeah. ship. That's it. Ownership or slave ship. Which one you want to get on? Man, um, talking about slave ship, talking about sex trafficking, it's been an epidemic of that with um, black women gone missing Crazy. and things of that nature. Um, I know you've been pretty vocal uh, this, this trip and you've been here. I've been tapping in with you. You've been talking about wanting to do some you know, video projects, some film projects geared towards that. Um, I just wanted you to open up and say what's on your mind when it comes to all that. I mean, you know, there's 77,000 missing black women, you know, in America and I'm sure that number is steadily increasing and on the rise. And, you know, it's always been said that black women are the most unprotected women on the planet Earth. And, you know, that is a large responsibility of the black man to protect a black woman. And we live in a society that demasculates and has an emasculating agenda 
towards masculinity, you know, and the problem with it is that you have to understand that we also have a culture that celebrates sex trafficking, that celebrates pimping, that celebrates those direct things. We have the soundtrack to sex trafficking is hip hop. You know what I mean? What you think that who you think they listening to? You know what I mean? But then you have to recognize that these brothers grabbing these sisters, these devils, you know what I mean? The black devils, a lot of them. You know what I mean? And they're being used as instruments and tools against each other. But then at the same time, why are people so comfortable with their ability to do harm to black women and there's no retribution or vengeance being done upon them? You know, and that's because there's been a separation from black men and black women. There's been a separation from divine feminine and divine masculine. So these issues stem all the way down. But we have, you know, they had the whole Me Too movement that kind of opened up the rape culture. You know, this particular sex trafficking thing, I mean, this is something that women and men all around the world, they fight. But it's great that it's being brought into a light because it breaks down the root of the issues, right? So I talked about how I always grew up in a time to where we taught my sisters that at certain times at night that you don't travel. Mm -hmm. And if you are traveling, travel with a man or travel in pairs. You know I mean? If you go travel with a man, travel with a man that's willing to protect you and die for you. You know? And for one, a many man that is willing to protect and die for you has to be a masculine man. For one, he has to have the ability to protect himself and he has to have the confidence to relinquish that ability to protect someone else. You know, that's a divine decree that every masculine man has wanting power. The problem is that most men are feminine in the sense that they're not in touch with their masculine side. So we have a lot of toxic femininity that exists within a man where they can relinquish that. And now you have hip-hop culture celebrating, you know, sex worker and sex trafficking. Essentially, because that's all it talks about. You know what I mean? It's sex, sex, sex. And then on the other side is death, death, death. So we have sex and death culture. And that's what fun sex trafficking. You have organ harvesting and a bunch of other different things that go along and coincide with that. But I think, for one, every person needs to make themselves, need to educate themselves, for one, on what it is. and need to educate themselves on security tactics that they can take. We have a society, I mean, we have what Uber that allows you to get in the cars with strangers that you don't know. You know what I mean? And ain't no telling how many people have been missing from these particular things. Like when black women go missing, is it plastered everywhere? You know what I mean? And, and, and there's a divide on even when black men get killed from the police and black women get killed from the police. So we have a responsibility to protect the mothers of our culture, the mothers of our civilization. And I think that the only way that's going to happen is two things. Is that the celebration of what it means to be a black masculine man that comes along with that characteristics of being a protector has to be celebrated and pushed out. That has to be the new narrative. You know what I mean? Because as long as uh, men want to be niggas, a nigga ain't talking about how he go protect black queens and stuff like that. Him talking about, but women love a nigga. They love a, a thug that they ain't going to say shit about protecting you in situations that arise and take him to the streets when there are issues and educating himself to make sure that he stands on the right side of issues. That's not going to happen. And then at the same time, a woman that moves in her divinity knows how to secure herself to make sure she's not putting herself in situations unnecessarily. You know what I mean? To where... You know, you got a lot of predators out here, and you don't want to make yourself prey 
in a sense to where you're asking for, not even asking for, but you're putting an energy to where you're letting them know that, look, I'm independent. You know what I mean? Come grab me. You know what I mean? The independent woman and the interdependent man are both tools of white supremacy because the, the, the dependent man, you know what I mean, is one who no one can depend on. And the independent woman has no one to depend on. You understand me? So that's the first disconnect right there that says, oh, she's by herself. That's what an independent woman says. And any woman that's by herself can be snatched up real quick. But if that woman is backed by her brothers, cousins, community, you know what I mean, an army, you ain't touching that woman because what's going to come back from that is a backlash to where everybody in your family get murdered. Mm -hmm. And that's what has to be said. Like, you found out anybody name attached to something, it got to be an eye for an eye. You know what I mean? Ain't no Christian, we forgive you type shit. It got to be on some, it got to be willing to shed blood because there's 77,000 missing black women. You got to count that at 77,000 murders, and somebody got to be willing to murder those who murder us. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the point you made about, <laughs> preach, um, the point you made about, uh, you know, hip-hop culture kind of like being the soundtrack for this culture is very interesting. And, you know, you put hip-hop culture in a in a big umbrella term where there's, you know, a bunch yeah. of different, there's artists, you know, doing things, but for the most part, mainstream hip-hop culture um, we know what it is. And it's one of those things where it's like we consciously like so much comes from that culture. You know, it's, it's, it's um, you talking about earlier with the whole Kaepernick situation, sacrifices, thing that's, things that you're even passionate about. That's what real sacrifice is. You let right. it go for a greater good. And it's one of those things where like I myself, there are times where um, I have to cleanse myself of like, you know, even listening to certain music, I'll just listen to jazz for like, you know, two weeks or I'll listen, you know, go on these different um, trips and vibes where I'm doing things outside of like mainstream hip hop because a lot of it is negativity. You know, it's just c consistently putting these things in, in your subconscious that you don't even think about. We were like here the other day when you were like um, kept rhyming words to a song that you didn't even like. You just kept right, doing right, it. Right. It's like it's just it being your subconscious. It's a program. You know, and I think like, yeah, it's like you got to pro reprogram yourself with something that could actually be positive for you. But having said that, it's like even with this podcast, I feel like we have interviewed, you know, young rappers and, you know, we're going to continue to interview young rappers and things of that nature because we know how big of a influence they are in our culture. And it's like, I feel like to completely shun or to turn your back on, you know, like the culture, it's kind of hard to, to do that if you want to effectively reach people and show, you know, people different perspectives and venues. Because we all come from that culture, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's like such a polarizing thing for me to talk about specifically with hip hop and like the negativity in it because yeah. it's like we're still in it. It's one yeah. of those things where it's like if you watch Martin, like you laugh, you have a good time, you laugh and all that. Yeah. You watch Martin with a white person, you feel uncomfortable. If that yeah. person laughs, it's like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to laugh at this, you know what I'm saying? You, you yeah, can laugh like, at your own pain, right. you don't want right. nobody else laughing. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, Laughter of your own pain is part of the healing process a lot of times. But somebody else laughing at your pain can re-trigger that, you know what I mean, and open up wounds. Mm -hmm. So no, you don't want to sit there with somebody who is a participant and who has a level of privilege, you know what I mean, in those wounds. It's like if you laughing at a situation, a relationship you had with an ex, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, that was a terrible fucking relationship, but mm -hmm. in hindsight, you can kind of laugh at some of the mm -hmm. things that was happening, and that's your way of healing. But if that ex is next to you laughing mm -hmm. at that shit, what the fuck you laughing at? Mm -hmm. You the one caused this shit. That sounds like you a real I mean? example for you. That's, huh? Nah, it's, not for me. I ain't never been hurt, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm keep my but not, or it's like if you had a concert, like this day and age, 
you know, like you look at the sales of these uh, mainstream rap artists, you look at the concerts and stuff, everybody in there is white. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to a concert, yeah. it's going to be all white. And it's they like, you know, the certain, you know, when you reciting these lyrics of certain songs and you know what words are in them and whatnot, and it's like, you just look around. Like, That's an interesting observation, mm -hmm. the fact that they are some of the biggest concert goers. Yeah, you know I mean, they and supporters. That switch off yeah. though. That's the cool part about that. You though. say they don't. They do. Oh yeah. Is that Absolutely. they like we we hear music? I'll say like, and we believe that shit, and we want to live it. Like they hear it, and they be like, "Oh, that's fucking crazy." Right. Cause and then they go back to their regular life, life. It's more of their entertainment. And that's why I say it's crazy how serious we've starting to take hip hop into where now it's like. Like how you talking about the sex trafficking, like, oh, it's just normal, boy, because we hear it all day. Right. So it's like, that shit's kind of like a filter on us. Like, I mean, we in, we in Oakland, land of pimping. Look at, right. too, look at Look at Too Short. Right. You know what I mean? Too Short been the most notorious pimp for the last goddamn 20, 30 years. But now it's different, though. It's every, it seems like that's, that's one of the main options for these young girls to kick it off as to right. start at hoeing, stripping, stripping or shit. scamming. It ain't no more like before, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm get a job. Ain't none of that. I'm yeah, going to no. go to the fuck. Right. What? She go fuck a nigga for a dollar. Yeah, you feel me? And you it's mean? just like music has kind of babied us into everything being okay when... Like I said, like when the white people go to the concerts and shit like that, they look at it, they like it, but they know how to turn that switch off. Yeah. And it's kind of scandalous how we being programmed to not turn that switch off. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So you're saying it doesn't become their culture. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it, but it becomes our reality for right. sure. Because even like rappers, though, like how you said, we, we talk to rappers and some of them don't really live like that. Exactly. Well, yeah, a lot of them. Maybe so having a like, wife and kids. It's hard to make the soundtrack to your real life. Why are right. you living it? And, and that's what we was, we was just talking on. It was just crazy. I'm just sitting here just thinking about it like that. And it's like, it's like it's entertainment, but it's culture. And it's like, you right. know, all these things mixed in one. And that's when you get into this, you know, weird game of like, okay, like, yeah, it's entertainment, but... When is it's going to change? It, it, okay, so <laughs> you got to look at we... It's entertainment, but it's programming. Right. Right? So it's subconscious programming that comes with a responsibility. So as an entertainer, you can entertain with somebody somebody with some things that's good for him. You look at Dave Chappelle, the way he entertains. He entertains with truth. He entertains with perspective and opinions on real things that open your mind up to mm -hmm. view society in a particular way. And hip-hop was once a controlled entertainment right, industry right. from 5% nations, from the gods of the earth. The, it, it was a time where if you look at the language of hip-hop, you know, they would use God a lot more than they use the word nigga, mm. right? And then through the shifts out the years, like after Biggie and Pac died, it shifted over from more so kind of like Islamic-based, 5 percenter base, and it shifted over to more of like a, a nigga, Christian, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Sex, money. death, culture, yeah, money, hoes, bitches ain't shit, you know what I mean, type of reality. And nobody wants to go back into the legends and be like, you know what, we listened to y'all shit, but y'all shit was fucking terrible for us, to be right. honest. Y'all raised us on some bullshit because y'all was raised on some bullshit. And a lot of those legends are living and nobody want to pull their card and make them renege a lot of the shit that they put out there. Right. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like there's a responsibility because every across the entire planet, if I don't care where you go to, black people are listening to hip-hop. You know what I mean? They listening to grime, they listening to house. Mm. Which means that that's the one, the only universal tool for communication that all black people have as a programming tool that can get everybody on the same accord and frequency. Hip -hop. 
So hip hop comes with a responsibility whether you want to be a role model or not. Once you step into that role, people model themselves after you. Mm. You understand me? So you just want to, you can be an irresponsible role model. You just have to take that card. Don't say I don't want to be a role model. No, I just want to be an irresponsible role model. I want to do my shit, have my fun. You know what I mean? Talk about drugs. Niggas be talking, 50 Cent talk about drugs and shit in the club. He wasn't even, he was sober right. as hell. Getting everybody to pop X in the club. Exactly. You know how many people took that as a real soundtrack for them to go do their drugs really in the club? And he wasn't even doing that. He's sober as hell, counting up the money. So it's like, hip hop has always been, a lot of entertainers have been the most irresponsible role models ever for the black community. Because we don't get a chance to step out of that world. Right. We make it our world and it curates our world. You somebody rich that listen to music about poverty, you stepping into somebody's world, but you're not living in it. Right. We allow that to create the culture for us. Yeah, and we've been, the, the entertainers and athletes have been elevated so much, man. It's like they're, man. In, the, in the black community, they're elevated so high. And yeah. it's strategic, it's institutionalized, but it's like anytime something happens, you got to get the perspectives of, you know, any, say this famous rapper, this famous athlete. Why? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's people. The CEO of Kaiser just passed away two weeks ago or a weekend ago, um, right after AfroTech. I mean, it's, it's you know, a black man CEO of a major company. You know, it's like there's there's people, and there's I know there's few and far between, but like those are the people. You know, it's like you gotta elevate other people that's, as well. That comes yeah, from we, black media, though. Yeah, we well, a lot it does of, a lot of time. A lot yeah, of black, black media. It's like what we were talking about where earlier. Ownership comes. If you don't right. own the media, then you can't own what you propagate as important. Black media, music, the entertainment, everything. That all those aspects, like 2020 year ownership. Ownership. Tyler Perry. Um, I don't know uh, too much about it, other than there's a lot of. It seems like there's a lot of opportunities. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, what you laughing about? I just, what you got to say? <laughs> it's two foes to that, though. Blue Pill was there, talking about there's that. There's a level of accomplishment that has to be looked at as a success. Like, that's what's up. We need that. You, yeah. you, like, the role, I wouldn't. That's what, I just jumped on that because we're saying, like, owning the entertainment. Yeah, and it's, it's important. Probably the only being that we know that's black yeah. and that could do that. You know, so. they said parts of Black Panther was shot there, you know. Mm -hmm. and that Yeah, at, at, at Tyler Perry Studios specifically. And it's important that we have to own the studios because right now there's nothing but Jewish-owned studios, right? And we don't control any of the entertainment that's being propagated towards mm -hmm. us. So I will salute him 100% on that component because the same way Kanye West has own, is owning 40,000 acres or whatever mm -hmm. on land, you might not like the aspects of Tyler Perry dressing up like a bitch mm -hmm. or Kanye West trumping for that bitch. But the aspect of him moving like a god and the acquisition of land and the acquisition of property that can have control in media, and I say bitch just to show the polarization of the intensity of feelings that go along with that, it's important that you able to, you know, as we say, eat the meat, spit out the bones. Or as a, as a vegetarian or vegan would say, eat the fruit, spit out the seeds. You got to mm. settle on the best part of a person. That's the responsibility of critical thinkers that we have because oftentimes we throw everything out when it's like, all right, that part is over with. Now look how much good can come from this. Right. And white America has been able to create these sacrifices to where they build off blood, they build off drugs, they build off death, and they get to flourish and live. So it's like you got to be able to settle on the best part of our people. We live in conditions to where we have to do things as unsavory to our taste buds. Right. 
But once these things are done, we got to be like, you know what? That is an example we should be setting, though. Like Kanye West and owning land, I don't care how much you want to talk shit about Kanye. If you go talk shit about him, also mention a part where the land aspect of what he's talking about is 100% needed right, as far right. as ownership. I think that goes back to what you were saying, like critiquing people, critiquing our own people too much. Yeah. Know, being too hard on our own people yeah. without being like giving acknowledgement of what we're doing good. Though. We just got to be critical thinkers. Yeah, and look at the long view. And I think also it resonates, we talk about the entertainment companies and ownership. 2020 ownership mm -hmm. of that i think it also gets back to something you uh, posted about on social media which is a harriet tubman movie um you know being wow. being uh you know uh, produced by there's a lot of there's a lot of details with that in terms of how that's that. produced but let me just say this real quick there's a lot of details about like you know the tree of how that was produced and who's in ownership of that and like do you really want to support that with a white man having control of like that story and that narrative and you could also look at like the show uh watchmen which is really popular right now also made by you know a team of white people they have a lot of black writers and things like that, so I don't want to like discredit those people. But you know, at the top, at the person at the top who's making the executive decisions with these things, it's uh, white people talking about black stories and in, in black history. White people capitalizing on black capitalizing. Let me say that capitalizing on black stories. And to me, I guess like before I let you go on that because you did post about it, you know, I completely. I think a lot of times we have the conversation of um, like, oh, okay, I'm not gonna like, why are white people telling the story? Why are white people telling the story of slavery? Or why? What's the what's the uh, motive and the and the motivation behind that? My whole opinion is like, the focus should be on let's get more black people who are in those positions to tell stories ourselves. I don't care if a white person wants to tell that story, they can tell the story. Like that's <laughs> that's their prerogative. They can tell everything else. Why not? Just go ahead and tell a story on slavery or on you know uh, historical uh, accuracies that have happened um, in this country as it relates to black people. But I think we need to have um, more options where black people have ownership in general. Like, and we don't, it doesn't have to be just stories about black people or about like a specific, you know, talking about slavery or, or X, Y, and Z. We just need to have our own companies set up, our own media companies, our own, all different across the board ownership where we can tell our own stories and right. have that option. And there's multiple ways to get it. So you're not just getting it from one source, which is what we've had to do in this country for so long. But let me hear your thoughts on that, though. You got to look at it from a global perspective, and then you got to look at it from an agenda perspective. Mm. If if you watch the movie Harriet Tubman, do you see it? No, I haven't. What right. kind? If if <laughs> if if you a young girl and a young woman that watch that movie, I can see you being all inspired by the story. And I've I've read like ever since I was younger, we watched all the documentaries and got all the information. Yeah, I mean, um, on Harriet Tubman, like we had to learn all of that in class consistently. Mm -hmm. Every year we had to watch those damn documentaries, and I got tired of them. You know what I'm saying? But we had to learn those stories as a practice when we were younger to educate ourselves on our history. I never needed a white person to tell me a story about black mm. people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because that's our responsibility to mm. teach our children. So even if you watch those movies and they have historical inaccuracies, no. they have the true knowledge to say, wait a minute, when I watched the history that was presented by my people, I didn't read that part in the story. So they would know the truth so they can, like you say, eat the, or I, I, I just said, <laughs> eat the meat and spit out the bones. But right now, mm. They take it as gospel if they yeah, don't Yeah, you take it as gospel. So the danger in this is that we have a movement of, of women's liberation and women's rights. So anything that's pertaining to women is will be celebrated by all people, right? There's a danger in the process and the agenda when you think about emasculation and you think about toxic masculinity. 
And when you see one time you're celebrating the women, but then you're positioning the light of the black man, you know what I mean, in a toxic sense, that's raising the girls, but down in the boys. You know what I mean? So, yes, everybody, he talking about, I can take my daughter to see it. Well, you supposed to, it's supposed to be movies where you can take your son and daughter to see it. Right. Because it raising her. one without the other creates the imbalance to where you have the same issues that we're dealing with today. Right. So, it's like they, they can hide behind um good right and they can put in falsehoods and evils you know what i mean and this plays into the larger agenda this is only one movie but a movie is more than thousands of speeches right now when you think about it in this same context that if a white girl goes to see terminator it's going to do the same thing as when a black girl goes see harriet tubman you understand me because she go watch terminator and see a white girl as a superhero you know what i mean not only a young white girl she gonna see an old woman being a badass murdering shit all kind of crazy it's going to have the same confident building things for both sides the only difference is one is fiction one is one is inaccurate facts you know what i'm talking about yeah. but one is steeped into our epigenetics our, our dna because it stems from actual history so one is really triggering mm -hmm. the other one is just real Badass confidence building. We they got a million movies about them being superheroes. You know how many movies there are all about white women doing impossible shit that white women can't do? You know what I'm saying? A lot. <laughs> it's way too many. You know what I'm saying? And it does the same thing. So we don't need a slave movie to inspire our young girls. Right. You understand me? I would rather them watch a movie of a young black girl flying around doing something. That's going to give them an imagination of possibility. You understand me? Yeah. So it's like Sometimes we overpraise these things as if they're the saviors for our people, and it's not. Their their media is their true source of inspiration. For white men, when you think about when they talk about white patriarchy, when they when they see Superman, he's the ultimate figure of white patriarchy, doing some shit he could never do in real life. He could never sit in the sun and get power. You know what I mean? He's sitting in the sun, he go get cancer. You know what I'm talking about? He got a goddamn black man named Kalel that came from a different planet. But when he come over here, all of a sudden he get melanated powers, you know what I mean? Because he's sitting in the sun and it activates some energy to where he can fly around the world and say that if you're a young white child watching that your whole entire life, all comic books are based on your greatness, it's feeding into your psyche, your yeah. supremacy on the planet Earth. Yeah. We have the So our responsibility and the ownership of media is not just to be... The shooters and directors, we got to be the script writers. Exactly. You know what I mean? We Tell have the story. To, we yeah. have to be in these positions to where we can create the foundation. You know what I mean? It's like if the brother made, Tyler Perry made the studios, we need a lot more black writers that can tell right, more right. stories right. in imaginative ways. Because our history don't start from slavery, and that's the problem. We keep starting our history at 400 from years 400 ago. Years. And you go to South Africa, they're telling you stories about things we did 100,000 years ago. So it's like we need those stories. And what that does is it rebuilds our DNA. Because they say epigenetics. It stays, and generational curses basically stay within the DNA for 15 generations. Right. So we got things that stem it back 15 generations within us that we're constantly triggered by. So, of course, they're going to show us the worst thing that they've done to us over and over and over. So it can constantly trigger that which is inside us. But we got to build and we got to activate our DNA way where you can rewrite that shit so we can actually do better. You know what I'm saying? We don't need constant re-triggering. We need the old new reactivating and a new writing and a new coding of our DNA that exists. Right. And that recoding can be done through the programming of media, through music, entertainment, politics, events, right? All education, uh, so many different things. You know what I mean? So we have to take ownership of the stories. 
And we don't have to, and like I said, I said I was boycotting. I can boycott anything that I don't feel like falls into the complete agenda of our people. And if you're going to show that, you got a responsibility to not only show it, but to give the critical thinking aspect to say, you know, that black man in the story wasn't real, right? You got to tell your daughters that shit. Yeah. But if you will go there and say, daughter, how you love that movie, didn't you? But you ain't going to tell her the truth about aspects of the movie that weren't right. wrong. That's not real because when she grows up, it's feeding more into this feminine aspect of misandry and her hatred of black men. Her being strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the narrative of black men being toxic masculine. When she was younger, she watched a movie on how black men was goddamn, you know what I mean, played a role in Harriet Tubman, her greatest superhero now. You know what I mean? An, an evil delishment role and the white master had to kill the black man because he wanted to kill Harriet Moore or some shit like that. But it's like, it's dangerous when you allow any aspect of their narrative to be played. And you allow our children to take it wholly. And so they take that agenda and it allows them to continue to perpetuate their propaganda. Yeah, the media is powerful. The media is powerful. So, like, ownership is key, like you said. And on the conversation, the transition of, uh, you know, toxic masculinity, specifically toxic black masculinity, um, I wanted to, I know you had uh, strong opinions about the Pharrell cover that said, like, was it a new masculinity? Mm. Was that what it said? New yeah, magazine. Yeah, new magazine. I forget. I forget what magazine that was, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting with Pharrell because I was having a conversation with um, with my with my boy Josh the other day, and um, he was saying something that's really interesting, talking about you know the hyphy movement when we were um, you know growing up when we were younger, and how you know just the images of. Uh, at least for a black man, the images of, you know, things were crazy back then. It was yeah. dangerous. I mean, it's still dangerous now, but it's different, you know, especially when you um, incorporate the gentrification and how just Oakland has changed so much specifically. Like, it's very different. And it's like back when we were growing up in the hype movement, things were just dangerous. And that was a time where you were expected to be like, you know, you expected to be hard. That was like the image. You got to be hard. You got to be tough. You got to mm. be street no matter where you're from. Like, that's what the music, we talked about the hip hop earlier and how it influences the culture and how we think about ourselves. That's what the soundtrack was, you know, 50 Cent, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, get rich or die trying. That was like the image of masculinity and of um, ourselves. And then you kind of transition to this period where um, kind of like more so when I was in college where Pharrell was getting really popular and like had a different effect on our culture. It was like, it's OK to not be, you know, what I'm saying um just uh, carrying around, talking about guns all the time and things like mm -hmm. that in the music. And I think that was a really powerful thing at the time. And it really uh, did a lot of positive things for people to say, you know what, I don't need to be, like, my image doesn't have to resonate with this street person who I'm not. You know what I'm saying? And I think, like, that was very powerful. Fast forward to now, we have another, I guess, big moment for Pharrell or somebody like him in, in this current landscape of culture with the magazine cover where he's, um, what was he doing, wearing a dress or something like that? Yeah, it was like a, a pyramid-shaped dressed. It was terrible. Cover? Chanel? It was terrible. What, what happened? Well, let me, let me take a pause real quick. Get some chips? Something? I think I got to handle something real quick. Um. <laughs> No, it's it's a lot to unpack with that, you know, and my comments that I've been giving, it was for GQ. GQ magazine. So my comments that I've been giving on that is, for one, I'm sure that there was probably um, LGBT members who dressed him up for that shoot, um, which is ironic, the fact that they're the one who creating the uh, propaganda for new masculinity. And that's important to note, um, especially when he's supposed to be a heterosexual black man, how can... 
you allow someone who is not from the same, um, I'll just say culture as you, you know what I mean, to p prop you up, you know what I mean, as a puppet for their agenda. And that's exactly what he was. But I mean, you say it's supposed to be, but I mean. Yeah, I mean. It's, 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 it's two separate polarizing agendas and cultures that that comes from. And so when you talk about masculinity, right, me and my pops was talking about this yesterday, and we was talking about how masculinity is, for one, based in power, you understand me, but also it's based in characteristics of what it means to be a man. That's what masculinity is, the typical characteristics of a man, right? And so when you think about that aspect of it, how can a person create a gender-fluid image and say this is a new masculinity when these are not the, ter the typical characteristics of a man? Mm. So when you want to talk about masculinity in the sense to where you're going to say this is the new something, then you should be creating something that's better or improving upon, and which means that you should have it backed by substance to say that, you know what, the new masculinity is loyalty, honor, integrity, respect, protection, you know, producing, creativity, you know, uh, uh, being honorable, you know, um, like these are things that you should have as like substance things because man is mind so you should tell a person how they can build their mind up to become a better man instead they're saying that if you put on a dress and you become gender fluid then this is the new masculinity acceptable man exactly but I, well, I will say this though Have, has anybody because I mean I definitely didn't read the article I, I don't even I didn't really know about it other than from what you said Do right. you know like what the article was actually about the article the cover, here's but... the, the thing about it is the article don't matter <laughs> because it's the, the cover image that's, that's viral that yeah. becomes Becomes the most important because they know people are not going to read the articles. So you be you you build and you design it with an intentionality. No, that's true. It's like, it's like any paper. People exactly. write the stories don't necessarily. The write picture the, tells a thousand words. Right. So whatever the article was, it shows it no masculinity matter. at all. None Even at to all. Word how he's holding his hands, to look on his face, to the colors that they yeah. use for the. Yellow and like turquoise. Yeah. You know I mean, it, so there's a rewriting. Even the writing, like the the bold GQ is hidden in the background with this funny writing that says the new masculinity issues. You know what I mean? You know what's it's the just all for the eye? Most people in society today, the one who curates like toxic masculinity is a term that came from homosexual white man and another uh, heterosexual white man, and we got to stop allowing them to condition our culture with their beliefs. You know what I mean? And how they view for one gender. A lot of times, the way gender is viewed is through a white woman's viewpoint and, and, and what she thinks. And then that's being thrown into our culture. But if we don't know what or how our ancestors viewed it and how our ancestors played it out, you know what I mean? Then we are detaching ourselves from our own culture and from the rest of the diaspora. Because when you travel around the world, it's not how Africans view masculinity. It's not how the people right. in the UK view it, not how the people in the Caribbeans view it. So how come the American viewpoint of these things are so different? And that's because our consciousness is so intersected with everybody else's thinking. We're totally disconnected from the nature of our ancestors mm -hmm. and how they would have viewed it. You understand me? And the reasons that they even done things. Like if there was, you go to, I went to the, um, the Zulu village. And they wear small cloths and things of that nature, but, but they were warriors. They had a different I was spirit. Say, but they don't have right. that thought in their head. Nah. Like, you know, when you taint something, they're yes. not tainted by that thought. It's completely you different. Feel me? It's they're warriors in their, in their mind. Well, not in their mind, in actuality, because that's what they are. Yeah, you know I mean? so it's like we got to go back. For one, we have to deconstruct all of the things that's here in order to be able to accept the infrastructure of our own nature. Like, mm -hmm. 
you can't honor your ancestors with living, you know, through somebody else's uh, thought process. Right. You know what I mean? Because then they won't even be able to connect with you at all. So it's like masculinity has to get back to its original definition because the problem is not the fact that men are too masculine. It's the fact that men are not masculine enough. You know what I mean? And that's really the thought process. And when anybody go talk about masculinity, put substance and characteristics of honor and power behind it. You know what I mean? So that it conditions the young men to become something better, not to just become anything. Because that's shape-shifting instead of paradigm shifting. Those them words have nothing to do with the look either. Nah, nothing. Nothing yeah, to I mean, do with I the th- look. Think, but nowadays it, it's everything to do with the look. How right. they changed it. Like, it's crazy. Right, and I, and I think that's probably what their you know intention was yeah. with, the, with, the, uh, with the article or with the cover. to Like you mentioned all the intersectionality differences and all the different things, whereas you know other places around the world, we don't they don't have all that that we have here in America but I think that's the reason why an article like that or a cover like that gets talked about so much and whatnot because you're going to have people who are saying I disagree with this um, definition I, I resonate with this why do you disagree all these different groups having having that conversation getting virality and making it good popular and that's why they put it as a cover that's what a headline is like you said earlier the people who I haven't read the article and like you said to a certain extent the article doesn't matter because the headline or the image, the cover, that's really what the, the, the topic's going to be about. That's yeah. people don't read. We in that Instagram, you know, culture right, right, where right. it's like, even Caption. when you look at like, yeah, things on Instagram, it's a lot of like misinformation and things like this, but at the end of the day, what is the images that we see? Like, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, I actually wanted to use that to transition to the situation, talking about social media and whatnot with the old Rodney Reed mm. uh, situation with the with the man who is going to be set to be executed in Texas. And um, to my knowledge, at least from what I follow on Instagram, Sean King was the main person who was kind of spearheading, getting people information in general public about, you know, what the situation was. Then Dr. Phil had, you know, a series um, on the story, I believe. And, you know, then there was a petition um, about, you know, signing your signing your name to this will basically give um, the people that the powers that be in Texas the ability to kind of maybe halt the um, the execution um, at least for when that was set and which would, did happen um, so I know I wanted to get your thought on that in terms of like the social media aspect in terms of being you know centered around a movement and having the community behind you and backing it but then I also wanted you to say a few words about the Amanda Seals um, situation I showed you before we got on this podcast how she was commenting it seemed to be very much directed towards sean king or, or other people who were um propagating that um you know petition to, for people to sign and she basically took exception because she felt like all the information wasn't provided um because there's other cases that um he was associated to in terms of his dna being you know in, in certain other rape cases and things like that that she didn't know of and there was just some misinformation she felt and she went to you know uh, instagram i believe to express her concerns with people like Sean King. I don't, she didn't mention Sean King on things specifically, but people like him who are getting a movement around something and taking advantage and almost made it seem like she was saying of people who just want to do good, who just want to do right and who can get behind a movement, but don't get all the information about it. You know, um, Sean King is, um, he's a, a, a leader in a lot of social justice causes today, you know, and he's become very big because of his involvement in uh, letting the people know about 
a lot of the egregious injustices that's happening in America that we would never know about. You're talking about brothers. He had one case where a brother was locked up and he had a bail for like 20 years or something or something ridiculous that nobody just knew about who he was and he's just been sitting there just locked up for no reason. And it's like you got somebody like that that brings cases and has been fighting for it for the last 20 years. And it's like... At a time where he had, I'm sure, no media and no celebrity presence and there was no awards for it. You know, I believe that, you know, uh, I don't know the brother. I've never met him. But anybody that dedicates their life to assisting other people that everybody else forgot about. You know how many black men and women that's locked up in jail today that nobody knows anything about? I, I, I say, for one, you have to command and award that before... You know, you try to uh, tear into a person's character and reputation. There's things that in his politics that I might not agree with and things that he says that I don't agree with. But when you think about the 0.1% of people who dedicate their lives to things like that, you got to respect it, for one. First, you got to put respect on the name, and then you go into the details. So from what I've read and the little information that I've gotten, the danger about all of this is not knowing the full picture and, right. how, and you only being able to go off the information that's being presented and taking the information as being truth. Especially when right? it's very complicated matters that yes. involves a lot of you know studying up on, reading up on. And right. that's, the, that's one of the troubles of social media. So there's this... You get your information that way. You got a black man who's accused of a sexual assault, right? Right. Um, of a woman. And so then you have, you know, our people, for one, black men, I don't know if it was a white woman or black, I don't know. I think it was a white woman. It was a white woman, right. So black men in this country have been accused, you know, of doing things to white women that we haven't done for years. White women have been a secret weapon. Yes, it's Emmett Till, and they've been like this. They, they painted their white women as this thing that black men just wanted. Like we just had to have that they have this innocent purity of whiteness that every black man just wants. And that when we touch it, we muddy them up. And they've utilized that against us for decades and decades and decades and decades. And so we know that there's today, I'm talking, I'm sure, thousands of black men who have been accused of raping white women that are completely innocent and raping women, period. The black man is demonized in a sense to where he's not seen as a human being to where nobody really cares, especially it's one of the most dangerous things being accused of any type of sexual assault, right? Because there's a level of guilt that's already associated based on the triggering of how, you know, crazy that these crimes are. So to go to bat for any black man that has been accused of rape and this Innocence Project that they said been looking at this for the last 18 to 20 years, they said, you think that we really got it wrong for the last 20 years? You think that the parole board of Texas really would have had a stay of execution? It wasn't really just based off social media. It was based off the fact that they've been looking at the case, and based on the evidence that's being presented, they was able to make their uh, deliberation in this way of stay of execution. But there's been multitude of cases, and they don't just do this just out of nowhere. And not just because it's an Instagram post. So, and not just for the petitions or even the phone calls. There has to be legitimacy back behind it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, when you listen to Amanda Seals, you can fall into it to be like, damn, that's fucked up. You know and, what I mean? Not, I don't like that, Sean King because yeah. I wish he would have told me more. And, and not just Amanda Sean Seals. King, and, yeah, her. It's, but, just, it's the posts that she was referencing to, all the things that she saw on social media right. that were like, you know, that he... But she uh, had inaccuracies and even in her post. She right. said that there was a woman killed that wasn't killed. You uh-huh. know what I mean? She said that there was a rape and a murder that happened, and this woman is still alive and well today. 
So it's like even in her virality and what she gave in the discussion, people ran with that, right? So I didn't haven't seen her post where she came back and cleared up those inaccuracies. Mm -hmm. So it's like the same thing that you're telling people to be careful of, you're creating that same narrative. So it's like I've seen Sean King do a lot more good than I've seen him do bad. So I'm not going to say, you know what, we should now question this brother's character, somebody who's been fighting for our people for, I mean, I'm sure a very, very long time. I don't know all of the consistencies of the case. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I don't see why a person would make up an agenda to get a black man out of nowhere that nobody knew about, you know what I mean, off ago. of death row, and he was about to get executed when he was guilty of previous crimes. And like you mentioned, there's institutions like the Innocence Project behind him, which yeah. like you said, they don't, you know, they take, they don't, they get cases all right. the time that they don't take. They don't take You're the majority of things Sean that King. come. You're trusting them. Right, right, and that's what he was emphasizing. But I think, like, to your point about her, um, Amanda Seals, who... Is somebody that I don't agree with uh, a lot of the time, um, but I know that she's an um, influential woman um, in our community. Like I right. know a lot of people that look up to her very heavily, and I think like that's why she, you know the what she says is like you know it's like people say it's dangerous. Like when somebody says something or puts somebody in a rabbit hole, like because she has an influence. You, you know, know I'm I'm not particular for her. I didn't like her remarks against Minister Lewis Farrakhan. Um, Did you specifically I, see her remarks when she had the whole situation with the former NFL player who um, she was accusing, or she had people that around him, she said, basically accused him of sexual assault where there was no evidence of such thing. Yeah. Did you, do you, are you familiar with that whole situation? I, I heard a little because bit about it. the only it. reason I bring up that specific situation because it's similar to this and that, right. like, you know, there wasn't any, like, factual evidence based on the what she had found out, but she posted it to the rest of the world and... You know, like he has to deal with that. You know, so I mean, that's kind of I mean, that's that's that misandry of feminism that's intersected to where it becomes a little dangerous to where you go at bat and and you want to villainize all men in and a I sense. Wish, I'm not, I don't mean to cut you off. I wish Cal Gowney was here on this episode, yeah. man, because I feel like man, it's just just to balance out the energy. I don't know how this is gonna look. We out here talking about this. I would love to give her the opportunity to give her opinions on all this, but she ain't here today. You know, he's, he's just know. rocking us three. But. I, I mean, I, I, I would just say that everybody, regardless of who you are, regardless of who you listen to, whether it's influencers, whether it's things you don't like, you have to do research. And, you know, research is different between just reading something and taking it verbatim. You have to dive into it if you really want to have a critical discussion and make a decision from an informed viewpoint. And social media doesn't always present you everything. It presents you the things needed to make decisions, you know what I mean, and lead you to the goal that this person wants to get you to, whether it's Sean King, whether it's Amanda Seals, whether it's myself, whether it's any influencer, thought leader, you're right, any discussion being had, I think we got to not be so lazy as a people. Um, if you want to be on the side to where you can be happy with the decisions you make. Otherwise, you have to trust the leadership that's giving it to you and say, you know what, I trust your quality of truth that you present. Because people are only trying to present you enough so you can make the right decision. Right. So, you know, I think that that's really the moral of the story here is do your own research. You know what I mean? But you have to be careful from the perspectives that you get because they can be biased. So you really, when you trust somebody like Sean King, you're trusting the fact that even when you go do research, you may get biased media. But these person, you talking about have 20,000 papers that they may have went through different documentations and you trust the decision that they made, even though you may not be able to understand why. 
Yeah, we it's a lot of information out there. Like, see, I feel like something relevant. I know you don't vote, but something relevant is like you know um, the election. You know, local up. elections. Lo- or even local elections. There's a lot of candidates that people don't know about, and so how do you how do you go through that when there's so much information? And I I've always felt like, and this is something I practice. I take people that I you know opinions that I respect um, from as diverse of a pool as I can find. So if you're talking about like just let's just say the presidential election, right? So. You take somebody who you know is going to vote Democrat and has a track record of that and who's educated and, and studied up on exactly what each candidate's doing and whatnot. Somebody whose opinion you respect, you talk to them about who they're voting for and why and really getting down the details of mm-hmm. like the key policies and all sort of things. Then you do the same thing on the other side. You know what I'm saying? You ask somebody who you know is conservative, who you know is going to vote a certain way. Why are you voting for this person? Like, What's the reasons that you're doing it? And then from that information, you can kind of do your own research and kind of get a bird's eye view and enough information from people that you trust, sources that you trust to make an educated decision as opposed to just seeing posts from people and not really delving into any further details into like the due diligence of why are they saying what they're saying. So I think whether you're talking about elections or whether you're talking about a man's innocence, there's a lot of things that you can look at in terms of not just taking one person's view or one person's opinion and using it as gospel. However, in this situation where Sean King was able to get all these petitions and and rally up a group of people to at least be an influencing factor in delaying this man being put to death, I think there are a lot of positive that positives that come out of just that example of what you can say is unity. And now it's getting a little bit more muddied up because of this a recent situation, people kind of attacking it. But I wanted you to say a few words about that aspect of this, if that makes sense. Um, You know, it, it, it showcases how powerful we are and that we can do anything. And it wasn't just black people that signed it. I seen white women, celebrities, Mexicans, um, you know, Asian, all kind of different people of different backgrounds because based on the evidence as they was presented, they seen something that was an injustice and people do want to be good and want to rally behind something good. Um, I think that as much as we rally behind things that are terrible like this, we have to be proactive in rallying behind or being proactive in things before they get to this level. Like, it's, let's not just rally right. when it's a black man on death be, row yeah. for a rape of a white woman and it's 30 days out for a stay of execution. Let's do it for the average black man or woman that we walk past that has a dream, that has a goal, that has an idea for our own family members and peers. Because if it shows us that we can get this much power behind something, then it shows you that we can truly do anything. But the question becomes, how do we rally behind proactive issues, you know what I mean, instead of always being reactive? Because a lot of times it's too late when we want to come together. It's usually when someone's dying or someone's Mm -hmm. on death row. You know, like, that's a lot. Yeah, so, and then we got to stop making it a man versus woman issue all the time, man. Like, that divisiveness of energy is going to keep America and the people in balance forever. Like, it's not a masculine versus feminine. These are two energies that coexist and work side by side each other. It's not feminist versus man. And the future ain't female. The future is male and females working together. That's the only balance. So I believe that proactive behavior, you know what I'm talking about? Looking at things that are um, not on their last leg and saying that how can we mobilize on these things? And I believe ownership groups. I believe 2020 being a year of wealth, we need to figure out how we can create lateral infrastructures, give each other access, and collaborate with each other at all levels to say, you know what, Um, nothing bad has happened at all, but we should come together and do something good.
You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And right now, there's you can look in your phone book and contact 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people and figure out how y'all can come together for ownership groups and figure out land acquisition. Maybe one person knows how to do it. The rest of you may just have the funding behind it. You know what I mean? I'm be like, that's the type of proactive that we need. You know what I mean? Whatever you know, teach me how to do it so we can do more. And we don't lose by empowering each other. We we win by that way. We, we got this sense of... Um, um, that things are uh, not in abundance in our society. You know what I mean? A sense of scarcity, which is built by fear. And that's how we want to lock each other out of everything instead of giving each other access and being like, damn, no, the more power you got, you know what I mean? The more power we can lend each other. So Sean King showcased an example and continues to showcase an example of how to galvanize people together and galvanize their energy and galvanize their sense of wanting to do good and morality and get people to channel their energy and make change. So now we got to do it when it's time for us to own buildings and it's time for us to own uh, NFL teams and things of that nature. Like, there should be a team owned by the people. That would be dope, you know what I'm saying, where people can get stocks in the team or something of that nature. Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we got we got we to gotta change the game and change the narrative, man, and stop doing it when it's just – uh, criminality of death or some egregious shit like back behind it. We got to do it proactively. Get behind the leaders in our culture, put as much energy and power and, and, and resources behind them and watch things change. I promise you. Get behind the leaders. You know what I mean? If you don't want to be the one that's channeling for, champion for all these causes, I get it. Nobody got time to be doing all of that. Some people find purpose in their life doing it. So get behind them every single second that you can. That's real. Um, before we wrap up and close out, Penn, do you have anything anything you wanted to specifically ask or anything to hit on? I don't know. I've basically hit most of the topics that I wanted to. And I feel like the 2020 vision of ownership no, is, is real. Like, I feel like it's funny because, like, I was having a conversation with an old college classmate, and he was telling me about his struggles of um, basically, like, you know, working at a, as a tech uh, professional in Silicon Valley and working at this white-owned company with a bunch of white employees and being a minority, which is something I'm very familiar with because I've been in those shoes on the accounting side. And he was saying about how he had this, like, affinity group trip where it basically took him out, flew him out to, I don't know, New York or something with a bunch of other employees that were um, African-American throughout the company. Um, throughout, you know, the different states and whatnot. And they have these, like, affinity groups, and they get together, and they have these leadership conferences and talk about how to go about things in the office and how to better do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me about how when he came back to, you know, work on the first Monday he got back, because some of his coworkers were asking him, like, oh, what was that trip that you went on? Like, what did you do? How, how was that? How did that experience go? And he felt like it was very difficult to talk to his coworkers about like what did you do? Like he didn't want to say, black. yeah, he didn't want to say like I just went on this black, uh, you know, vacation trip, and we just like he felt like his coworkers wouldn't understand, and it was very frustrating for him to deal with. And and the most you know friendly, uh, uncontroversial way that I could say to him, I told him I was like. The, I hear everything you're saying, and I've been in those shoes. I've been in that situation. But the best way to um, avoid that situation completely is to work for a company that <laughs> is owned by somebody who looks like you. You know, mm. like that's the only way to fully get away or from work for yourself. or work mm. for yourself. Like that's the only way to like really completely eradicate a situation like that where you would feel uncomfortable in that situation yeah, and all those sort of things. It's always gonna be those times when you work in and then you might be with a coworker that's of your same color, mm -hmm. then y'all gonna always have that insider 
other than your white employees mm-hmm. that you work with, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's going to be like that. Right. It's the same way, too, as of when I'm in the shop and I got white clients and I got black clients. I listen to the music and I hear it and I do be trying to see, like, oh, is they going to say this? Mm-hmm. I be mm-hmm. trying to peep it out. And it's, it's just a different demeanor, too, of, of how I get down to. I can say I'm more uptight when some, some white people come in. Not not to say that like oh I could be chill and relax with with black people but it's just a different creed it's just you never know you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's and it's natural vibe. I mean a lot of yeah. those things are natural it's not about like and it don't be on purpose yeah. and I find right. myself having to calm down like you know be cool because they cool too right. you know I me mean? and nine times out of ten a lot of the white people that come to my shop be really cool you mm-hmm. know what I mean but just off the bat when they come in just tighten up everybody do those mm-hmm. people sitting in the shop that just be looking like oh shit. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, it happens on the flip side, yeah. too. And it's, you know, a lot of the things when we... I always say, like, you know, from my vantage point and my perspective, a lot of racism isn't rooted in yes. malice and negativity. It's rooted a lot of times uh-huh. in people... I've had a lot of experience where you go to a bar and, you know, a white person will be at the bar with you and say something like, so you see that last Lakers game, or do you, like you know, just instantly like I don't even. Yeah, what if I don't yeah. even watch basketball? What do you mean? <laughs> it's not about I'm trying to be negative to you, and like it's about like oh I see you. But what I'm if you're a real I'm, Lakers fan? Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. You got right. A Lakers hat I know. On. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but nah, nah, it wouldn't be that side of BA Warriors, Niners all day. Um, but nah, like it's a lot of those scenarios where you where you where you. People are making assumptions because they want to be comfortable with you. Yeah. They want to ingratiate themselves with you. So they're making assumptions on what you are, yeah. who you are, what you're about when they don't even know you. And that's what a lot of what racism is, like that casual racism where there's, you know, um, you know, d- uh, disagreements and a lot of things escalate from that. And right. it's coming out of not necessarily a malice energy, but it's from an energy of I'm actually trying to. Uh, be cool with you, so to speak. You know what I mean? So yeah. right, but the connecting factors you can't you can't be on some bullshit. Yeah, yeah, man. No, I'm not saying I rather, you can. I'm just you saying gotta, that's where it comes from. But it's it gotta be an assumption of greatness, though. You know what I mean? If a person gonna make an assumption about me, it gotta be something great. It ain't gonna be, are you a rapper? No, nah, if you gotta, I, you have to be willing to, for your own enlightenment, step out and learn this. more about black people if you don't want to be seen or deemed as racist like other white people. No, I agree with you. I totally agree with that mm-hmm. point. But I think a lot of times when they're coming with that energy of trying to ingratiate you for a false narrative or something that you're not assuming is the greatest right. they don't have it with the with the energy of like i'm being like you know malice or negative towards you it's with the energy of i'm trying to be cool with you not understanding that this is a this is a you're, you're what you're saying is ignorant what you're saying is completely right. you know factually like wrong you know so yeah. i think a lot of times but that's like, a privilege to be I, able to do it that. is yeah it i is. had a neighbor like that she was like i don't know why you why doesn't the community accept me? I said, see, you got, that's your problem right there. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't need to accept you. You're just going to be here. You're going to be accepted. You're too worried about being accepted. Then who is the community? Because mm-hmm. right. Mexicans live right here. Blacks, whites, Chinese people, everybody live right here. But you yeah. stay worried about, like, black people. Worried probably about nobody you. fucks with you anyway. You feel me? Don't nobody <laughs> fuck with you. <laughs> White, black, brown. <laughs> Sometimes we, we go into So you want us to take yeah. the scraps. I, yeah, I mean, nah. We, look, look, if black people going to be cool with white people, it's, it's the influent ones with some power and stuff. We don't want the scraps that even white people yeah. not cool with you. You know what I mean? And they be trying to come over here to get some exception. Nah. Nah, 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 nah. I want, like, bring, you know what I mean? Bring the, the, the top of the top. Yeah, the we, top of the top, we, you know what I mean? We, yeah, I'm going to be partners yeah. with, with Brad Pitt or something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I 
It ain't gonna be the regular yeah. the Joe Schmo. You know what I'm talking about? I need somebody with some power I kick it with. You know what I'm saying? I'll talk. Well, hey, whether we kicking it with somebody or we starting something up, 2020 year of ownership. You heard it from 19 Keys. Yes, own it, man. Yeah, yeah own man. it. Ownership and slave ship, man. You gotta get on one of the ships. Tap in. So y'all been tuning in to Trap Talk. You already know what it yeah. is. On Trap Art TV. Make sure you tap in with us and tune in by following at TrapX Art. You can follow 19 Keys at 19 underscore keys. K-E-Y-S. You already know what it is. Like I said, Tattoo Panda, being Mechie. Yes, and we appreciate y'all, man. Cheers. This is Trap Talk on Trap Art Team. Probably nobody fucks with you anyway. And you can't be on some bullshit. Because right. Mexicans live right here. Blacks, whites, Chinese people, everybody live right here. But you stay worried about like black people. Man, I just be like, shut up. Ain't no more like before. It's like, oh yeah, I'm get a job. Ain't none of that. I'm yeah, going to no. go to the fuck. Well, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. The cemetery. Niggas banging out in the cemetery. Wild. As a diehard Niners fan, you going to travel with a man. Travel with a man that's willing to protect you and die for you. Yeah, I'm going to be partners yeah. with, with Brad Pitt or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> understand why the person at the bottom can't understand why you're making moves at the top. It ain't going to be the regular yeah. the Joe Schmo. You know what I'm talking about? I need somebody with some power I kick it with. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.